Welcome to Unveiled Faces, a Redeemer Presbyterian Church podcast. Please enjoy our future presentation. As we read God's Word from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of of grace and truth. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Well, I'm so thankful for the invitation to be here with you again this morning. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you all for this opportunity to be back with you. I love being with you all. You're a tremendously encouraging congregation, as I tell you each time, and I mean that. I was thinking this morning, what a wonderful example you are of following that pattern that the first church followed, as we read in Acts 2.42, how they devoted themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer, and how wonderful to realize that's what we're doing together this morning. So I commend you for that and thank you for blessing me with the opportunity to be here with you this morning and I thank you for the the wonderful partnership that we have I know that you pray for the ministry that God has opened the door for me to do as a missionary pastor to our California state capital and you partner financially as well and it means so much to me to know as I go into the capital that I go as uh, a partner of yours there. We go together in a sense. And this morning I'd like to look with you more at what we just read in John 1 and many, many related passages about a biblical topic that has fascinated me for many, many years, decades really. And it's this topic of what I might call living in God's light. So if you're a note taker, get ready to write down lots of verses 
because I'm going to jump through the Bible and, uh, and look at various passages that talk about how God reveals himself through light and uses it to describe his work in us. And when I think about this topic of light, it occurs to me that throughout my life, I've been enjoying physical light. And I think I may have a unique fascination with it. I'm not sure if anybody else thinks like this, but to a little degree, we probably all do. Who among us isn't thankful that we have lights in this room right now? Electric lights that people couldn't have imagined centuries ago. And we're enjoying the benefit of that right now. Who among us doesn't appreciate a beautiful sunset or sunrise? I grew up in Southern California and I enjoyed going to the beach, watching the sunset in the evening. And then sometimes we would gather around a campfire as it got dark and just enjoy the beauty of a glowing campfire. And then growing up down there, I'd see the city lights at night. I think that's beautiful. And I lived uh, for a lot of my childhood down near Disneyland. So I'd go out in my backyard at night when it was dark and I could see the fireworks from Disneyland in the, difference, in the distance. Uh, and I always thought that was fascinating. And sometimes I got to go to Disneyland and see the Main Street Electrical Parade, if any of you have ever seen that, where they turn off all the lights in Disneyland, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. And then here comes the parade and it's millions of light bulbs. And then when I was a kid, our neighbors had a swimming pool and at night they would light it up with blue and green lights and we could, on hot summer nights, swim in this, it was a very surreal environment, right, with the lit up pool in, in, in the darkness of the night. I remember the first time I ever flew in an airplane and I flew over Los Angeles and I thought, wow, look at all that. So many lights, each one representing a home. I remember when I went up and I hiked to the top of Mount Whitney uh, as a young man with our church college group and camping out there near the top of Mount Whitney, the highest point in the continental United States, located here in California, up there so high up and it was a meteor shower and I could see the stars at night and I thought, wow, I didn't even know there are that many stars. But look how God has illuminated the black night sky. And then my wife and I had a, our, our daughter and then we had our son and we named our son Lucas, which means bringer of light. And we visited our friends who had moved to Kentucky and for the first time in my life, I saw real, what, fireflies. Have you seen fireflies? I wish we had them here in California. How fun, and my kids ran around and captured the fireflies and put them in glass jars. sure what that's about. I'll take the microphone out of my pocket here. Last weekend I got to tour an advanced scientific lab just about an hour and a half south of here where they're firing gigantic laser beams at a focused point to create nuclear fusion energy right here in California at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. And scientists there told me 
He said, for a moment, this little speck where he fired this laser beams recently was the brightest spot in the entire solar system. We could go on and on. Light is all around us. We're encountering light constantly. Light is useful, practical, helpful, and can be beautiful. But as we look in God's word, we see that there's something divine about it often also. Hundreds of times in the pages of the Bible, we read of God using visible light to reveal himself to this world and figurative light to describe how he is at work in this world and among us and in us and through us. And so let's look at some of these passages and just try to categorize them a little bit. We see in John 1 here in this passage we're all familiar with, this profound description of the identity of Jesus Christ. John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is using this metaphorical imagery of light and darkness. And it's a powerful thing to say that Jesus is the light because repeatedly throughout the Bible, we read of God revealing himself with light. I mean, just, I'll just give you a sampling on each of these points, but again, we could, we could really spend all day talking about this biblically. You think about how many times God showed up and there was visible light. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Exodus 3, God reveals himself to Moses, How's he do it? Moses sees a burning bush in the distance and approaches it. The light of the fire. Exodus 24, 17 says, To the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Exodus 34, 29, Moses saw God's back and his face shining. Exodus 40, 38, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in the night. Exodus 1, 26, uh, Ezekiel, excuse me, 1, 26, where Ezekiel saw this vision of the throne of God. And what was it like? Describes how he saw God seated on his throne and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, he says. Ezekiel 127, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. And then when God sends angels to bring a message to this earth, they often appear with visible light, don't they? Luke 2.9, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Luke 24.4, we read of the angels shining in white clothing. And then in this passage and many others, we read of the glory of God. And in the New Testament, the word that's most often translated glory, as you may know, is the word what? Doxa, which emphasizes God's fame and reputation. In the Old Testament, it's kavod, honor, weightiness. But these words, in addition to their dictionary definitions, 
often are used to refer to God's splendor, brightness, and radiance. As in Isaiah 61, where it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, The word glory is used in Scripture often to express the exhibition, emanation, or communication of the internal glory. Hence, it often signifies an effulgence or shining brightness by an emanation of beams of light. So that's literal light. If we were to see anything of God, there's a possibility if God were revealing himself in a great, great way that it might be accompanied with visible light. Interesting. And then there's, of course, figurative light used all around all throughout the Bible to describe God's work. Metaphorical light. This imagery is so widespread, it's, it's, it's easy to overlook it, actually, but it's impossible to overstate it. John 1.5 here again. This is the message you've heard, you've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Wherever God is, there's spiritual light, and apart from him is spiritual darkness. And so now to say in John 1 that Jesus is light is saying that Jesus is no less than God in human skin. And the most powerful demonstration of God's glory ever on this earth. Because like the Father, Jesus could shine physically and visibly and also his work is metaphorical light. We know he could shine physically and visibly, right? Because Matthew 17, 2, Jesus was transfigured before them. And what happened? His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And then figuratively, of course, here, John 1, 4, the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. There was the true light, verse 9, which enlightens every man. Verse 14, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In Hebrews 1.3, he, Jesus, is the radiance, that's the word brightness, of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. So Christ is light. But God's word explains we as people have a problem. And what is that? That's that every one of us is born spiritually blind. John 1.5 the darkness did not comprehend this light. John 1.10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, did not recognize him, did not perceive him. The light of God is shining, but people are unable to see it. They're spiritually blind, so to speak. Let's think about that. Again, we have visible light, and we have this metaphor of light, and both are used to represent God. How do we perceive physical light, which we're so used to? What, you know, what is light, anyway? Scientists tell us that light is electromagnetic radiation, right? Energy made up of particles called what? Photons and also waves. And the word photons is from the Greek word for light, phos. And from it, we get our words in English, photon, photo, photography. 
But this thing that scientists research called light is actually very complex and mysterious. And they still don't fully understand it. I don't know if any of you work in this field, but it's fascinating to realize that forever people have been studying light, very much so for, for centuries now, and scientists admit that there's still much that they don't understand about something as common as light. They're still trying to learn about it and understand it, and they're discovering new things about it. But one thing, of course, that we know is that it moves very quickly, right? The speed of light in a vacuum, anybody know? 186,282, is that correct? Miles per second, which scientists say is the fastest speed that any conventional matter in the universe can travel. At that speed, in one second, light could travel around the Earth seven and a half times in one second. And what's it do for us? What's our experience with light? Well, visible light, we know there's different wavelengths that we can't see, but visible light enables us to see, right? How does it do this? I mean, think about this. In most cases, what we see as light is light that is bouncing off objects around us. So we have, we have objects that produce light. We have these light bulbs that emit light, and it's hard to look at them when they're at full strength. Hard to even stare at these fluorescent bulbs because I, I tried it during the service because, ah, man, that's too bright. Right? Since I was speaking about this. But, but, but as we look around, we see light everywhere. And what we're actually seeing are, are, is light, these waves of light and photons that are bouncing off everything and then reflecting back into our eyeballs. And for those of us who are not sight impaired, and boy, my heart goes out to those who are, some of the people I've considered most heroic that I've ever met are sight impaired, and they can accomplish amazing things. I'm very thankful for their example, actually, of, of uh, persevering and how many of them are able to do things that I can't believe they can do without physical eyesight. But for those of us who have physical eyesight, we see what we call eyesight is actually photons of light, waves of light bouncing off the things that we so-called see, reflecting back into our eyeballs. And then what happens? We go, oh, well, then we see. Well, it's not quite that simple, is it? What's happening is somehow our brain is processing those waves of light and coming up with a virtual image in our mind of what was, what, what's out there that the light waves and photons just bounced off of. You follow it? I mean, in a way, we're all in virtual reality because we're perceiving what something else is bouncing off of and creating an image in our, in our brain. Scientists are still trying to understand this, by the way. This is the mystery of consciousness. And, what even happens in our brains. But that's what God is doing to give us this ability to see things and how he's using light for us physically. And so in order to see, you have to have two things. You have to have light, and then you have to have eyes that function to receive it. And there's plenty of light in this world. Thankfully, the sun out there is creating an enormous amount of it for us. It's all around us. But when someone is blind, as we put it, the problem isn't with the lack of visible light. 
but rather that they don't have the ability to make use of it. And it's the same with spiritual blindness, right? There's plenty of spiritual light, so to speak, but people are completely blind to it. And this is what God's word tells us. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And 1 John 2.11, the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And this blindness of the light explains a lot of what is wrong in the world. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 15, excuse me, Matthew 15, 14, he said the Pharisees are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And that describes the world around us. And this also describes a lot of the pain of the world around us. Because when you run in the dark, you can get very hurt. And I experienced this literally. Without going into the specifics, I'll just say when I was in my 20s, I, uh, boy, how specific should I be without this becoming the whole focus of it? Very interesting story, I'll tell you some other time maybe, but, but for my job, I was running in the dark. At least I was supposed to not run, I was supposed to walk, but I decided as kind of a, in this situation of kind of catching somebody, it's kind of a security situation, I'm gonna run and sneak up on them. So I'm running in the dark, and I'm running in the dark inside a building, mind you, that had a brick wall. So I thought, well, I'll just run down this wall, and then I'll go over there and I'll catch these people. And I'm running along this brick wall, and I forgot that the wall juts out. One brick, and it comes out. And so as I'm running full speed, I literally ran full speed into a brick wall. At least my right eyebrow did, head first. And I suddenly, of course, <laughs> stopped, no choice, fell to the ground, turned on my flashlight, glad I had that, just to see all the blood pouring down onto the ground. Thought, oh Lord, what did I just do? And I still have a little scar there from my early 20s and probably some brain damage. <laughs> Which explains a lot too, right? I'm actually thankful for how well it turned out. But I got some stitches and kept on going. But what an illustration. That's what's happening. We hear the news. We hear what's happening. We say, what's wrong with people? That's what's wrong with people. They're running in the dark. And when I'm at the Capitol there all the time, ministering, I keep this in mind. You know, you hear about the decisions these people are making, and I'm there talking to these people. You get to know them, as I do. You talk to them about the Lord, as I try to do whenever I have the opportunity with all of them, our state legislators and statewide leaders and other government leaders, and you realize, hmm, most of them, they're spiritually blind. They cannot see what we see. They can't understand it. It's foreign to them when I speak about the most basic things about God, about Christ, about his word, not only do they not believe it, they can't even comprehend it. They can't even understand. It's like trying to describe physical sight 
to a person who's born blind. Now, for those who are physically born blind and trust in the Lord, I think in the next life, God's going to give them visible sight again. Trust, we're all, I think we're probably all going to have that in the next life. And again, those people are heroic as they function now without physical sight in this world. But spiritually, some of those people who are physically blind in this world have great spiritual sight. God has awakened them to know him and given them that gift of spiritual eyesight. But for most people in this world, they're spiritually blind. In John 3, 19, it says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work shall be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I get to see this at the Capitol as I reach out. That not only are people spiritually blind, but if I start to explain to them about how wonderful it is that they could know God through Christ, they're actually not interested and maybe even upset about the topic. How strange. Why would you not be interested? Why would you be upset? They're in the dark. They're blind, and they like it that way. J.C. Ryle put it this way, quote, Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light. And like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. Like the sun, he is free to all, and all may look to him and drink health out of his light. If millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women love spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their blind hearts. For whether men will see or not, Christ is the true sun and the light of the world. There is no light for sinners except in the Lord Jesus. And so how wonderful that God offers us spiritual sight. And this is what theologians have termed spiritual illumination, right? John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. John 12, 36, Believe in the light while you have the light, so you may become children of light. And then I love reading about the Apostle Paul's conversion. Acts 26, 13, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me. So the apostle Paul saw visible light when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And then Jesus spoke to Paul, Saul at the time, right? And what did he say to him? Acts 26, 18, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, figurative light. I remember when I first knew that I had trusted in Christ as a teenager. Some of my family members thought I uh, was going through a phase, they said. They thought it might be mental illness. And they comforted each other in saying, no, we think it's just a phase. That he's so interested in Jesus. But I knew something had changed. 
It was like I saw things now that I didn't see before. And that's what I hear from people at the Capitol. One man came to the Lord at the Capitol some years ago, and he said to me, as I got to uh, introduce him to Christ, this leader said, quote, it's like my eyes are finally opened, and I'm seeing everything clearly. And then the same day he said that to me, I was walking down the street by the Capitol, and a lobbyist who'd come to the Lord said to me, Frank, I'm so glad to bump into you. I just wanted to tell you what's happening in my life. She had trusted in the Lord also. She says, I'm not looking at, she says, I'm looking at everything in my life differently and my work differently. She said, it's like I'm seeing everything through a biblical lens. Isn't that beautiful? And, 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 and I love hearing people try to articulate what's happening in their life as they trust in Christ, and they often on their own, not even knowing the biblical passages, describe it as, I got eyesight, I, the lights came on. Like, how fitting. It's a good way to put it. Charles Spurgeon described his coming to Christ. He was in a church, and he said that this preacher shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. And he says, and there and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen at that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. And so when God illuminates us, it describes how his light shines into our heart. It doesn't stay on the surface. It goes in deep. The heart describes the seat and center of who we are, the core of our being. John 12, 36 says, believe in the light so you become sons of light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, you know this passage, God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, referring to physical light, has made his light shine in our hearts, metaphorical light, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we don't manufacture the light. All we do is receive it. John, Jonathan Edwards wrote, you see how it is in the spring when the sun shines on the earth and the trees. It gives them new life, makes the earth look green. It causes flowers to appear, gives a good smell. So it is in the heart of man when the light of God's word shines into it. And then he also wrote this, in the creatures knowing, esteeming, loving, rejoicing in and praising God, the glory of God is both exhibited and acknowledged. His fullness is received and returned. Here is both an emanation and a remination, which means a returning back. The refulgence, which means brightness, shines upon and into the creature, and it is reflected back to the luminary. The beams of glory come from God and are something of God and are refunded back again to their original. I like reading Edwards because he was fascinated by this imagery of light also. And we read in God's word that God's light will shine into every area of our lives. In Luke 11, we read Jesus saying, watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. I think Jesus is saying there, let God's light come in and shine upon every part of you. Sanctification, that nothing is shielded from the light. 
that God is shining his light in you spiritually, but it doesn't stop there. It affects us mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally, vocationally, financially, every part of our being. We say, God, let your light shine there. And I'm convinced that's the best way to deal with immaturity and struggles and temptations is to simply let more light into that area of our life. We don't just acknowledge the darkness and try to block the darkness out, which I think is what many people do when they realize they struggle in an area of sin. But instead we say, God, I recognize there's darkness there. Now how can I let your light impact it more? And how does that happen? Through the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. 119, 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. 2 Peter 1:19. so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. In 2 Corinthians 3:18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And sometimes God uses our difficulties, doesn't us, to get our attention, to bring us to the point where we say, God, I, I need to let you into that area. Shine your light there. So someone said Christians are like glow sticks. You know how glow sticks work? Any kids here ever use a glow stick? How does it work? You've got to break it. And then the little stick glows with light. Maybe that's a way to think of our life. Sometimes God breaks us. Okay, Lord, now I can receive your light. I realize I need it. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And then God wants his light to shine in us, in our heart, in every part of our being, and then we would illuminate a dark world. Matthew 5.14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp, put it under a basket, but up on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house, Jesus said. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may, what, see your good works and glorify your Father in his heaven. Glorify, shine for God. So you're going to spread that light to others. Philippians 2.15, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine as lights in the world as you hold forth the word of life. And then again, Peter says, for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. People say to me, Frank, how can you stand? I hear this a lot. How could you stand being at the Capitol all the time? It's so dark there. And I I know what they mean. It's not easy. But actually, right, it's not the building. It's not the place. What is it? It's the people. What we're really talking about, if we say the capital's dark or that place is dark, is that there are a lot of people there who are spiritually blind, who have dark hearts, who are cut off from the light of God. And then I think... So taking that spiritual reality, these people are in the dark spiritually, how would I treat them if they were in the dark physically, if they were blind physically? What if I were, and this actually has happened at the Capitol, what if I'm walking and there's a blind person with their cane and they bump into me? Do I get angry at them? How dare you bump into me? 
can't you see? And you're like, uh, no. Oh, right. Actually, we have compassion on them, or we may actually think, wow, that's impressive that you're out and about doing what you're doing. And we help them. And I think that's a good approach towards people who are spiritually in the dark, which is so many that we're around. They cannot see what we see. And so we do what we can to help them to see. We shine the light. And it's interesting that the people Jesus got most upset with, that we could see that he was upset with, right, were the religious leaders. And what was the problem there? They were so convinced that they saw better than everyone else and were leading others off a cliff, so to speak. It was their unwillingness to, to be receptive to the light, and they had so much of it because of their knowledge of God's word and being around the Messiah that they were rejecting. But not only that, they were leading others away from the light. And so for us, instead of cursing the darkness, what? We turn on the light. And the darker it gets, the more we shine for him, the more we show up. Spurgeon said, the suffering that you have now is just the black velvet upon which the diamond of God's glory is going to be revealed. And here we are with Halloween coming this week, and many of our neighbors will be celebrating Halloween. Here's a little way to think of it. A woman asked a co-worker, what's it like to be a Christian? And it was close to Halloween, so the woman, the co-worker replied, well, it's like being a pumpkin. God picks you up from the patch, he brings you in, he washes all the dirt off you, and then he cuts off the top and scoops out all the yucky stuff, and he removes the seeds of doubt, hate, greed, etc., and then he carves for you a new smiling face, and he puts his light inside of you to shine for all the world to see. That's a different way to think about pumpkins, isn't it? Instead of cursing the darkness, turn on the light. That's why I'm at the Capitol. Uh, I don't love it there. I struggle there. Lord, this is not easy. Well, that's why I need to be there, right? You may feel that sometimes in this world. Lord, it's not easy to live where we live. Lord, the culture. Lord, the schools. Lord, the government. Lord, 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 well, what a wonderful opportunity we have. And you know, God's word says, this is what we do. We shine for him now. Once he's in us doing this work of illuminating us for his glory, we shine for him here, and this is what we're going to do forever. This imagery of God shining continues into eternity. In Revelation 21, 23, it says, The city there has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And it's not just God shining, but we will shine also, in the sense that we'll continue to glorify God 
forever. Matthew 13, 43 says, then, and this was Jesus saying this, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Isn't it interesting? Jesus used that imagery to describe our eternal future. The righteous will shine as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. I pray that each of us will open our heart to allow God's light to shine in and through us. If we haven't trusted in Christ, we're wondering if maybe our heart is in the dark. God, Father, I don't want to be in the dark. Shine your light. I ask you to open my heart up to receive it, to give me spiritual illumination. And then if we have done that, Father, there are these areas that are still blocked off from you. Shine your light there. Maybe I can't fix that on my own, but you can. I want you to shine into that part of my life. And we praise him. We say hallelujah, right? One of the most frequently used biblical exclamations to praise God. This word hallelujah is actually a combination of two Hebrew words, halal, which is often translated as praise, and Yah, which is short for Yahweh, the name of God. But there's more to it. The Hebrew word halal more precisely means to shine, to flash light, to radiate, to have bright and clear light. So hallelujah might literally mean, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, so feel free to push back on me or correct me on this, but I think it might literally mean shine, Yahweh, Literally. That's what it means to praise God, to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shine, Yahweh. And then we'll conclude, as you know, one of the most famous songs in the English language is Amazing Grace. Most people throughout our culture, everybody knows the opening verse. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And then what's the rest of the song? What's the final verse, right? You guys know this. When we've been there 10,000 years, what? Bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Hallelujah. This has been a presentation of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. For more resources and information, please stop by our website at visitredeemer.org. All material here within, unless otherwise noted, copyright Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Elk Grove, California. Music furnished by Nathan Clark George, available at nathanclarkgeorge.com.